All right, our scripture reading this morning is from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. First from Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massa. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Robert. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you now asking that you would be faithful to your promises, knowing that you always are. And so we ask for your presence. We ask, O oh Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts, that you would give us ears that would not just receive sound waves, but that would receive your instruction with love and with respect, that we would understand your words to be life-giving for us, and that we would respond with our wholehearted obedience and love. Would you convince our hearts that your words are life for us? And we'll give you the glory as you do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I imagine that some of you had the opportunity to travel this summer. Maybe some of you were able to travel in August. Good for you. I was here. It was hot. Some of you probably traveled to Colorado or maybe Seaside, right? Did I get the two right? Colorado and Seaside. I'm learning. I, I don't fully understand it yet, but Colorado is beautiful. Florida is beautiful, and it's not nearly as hot there as it is here. Good for you. Uh, maybe some of you even had the opportunity to travel internationally this summer. Uh, Kathy and I, three years ago, I believe now, had the chance to go to Quebec City. Uh, we were celebrating our 10th year anniversary and our 16th year of marriage. There's a longer story to that. 
uh, but we really had a great time exploring that city, exploring another culture, and maybe some of you like to travel this way, to go somewhere else and to be able to experience life uh, that's very, very different from the life that you live in a normal, everyday, day-to-day moment, to see the beauty of a new place, to taste the food of a different culture, to maybe even uh, see and experience the challenges that people in a different part of the world face uh, with their climate or with their culture or whatever it might be. Maybe some of you like to travel that way. Kathy and I very much do. One of the things that I find, particularly in a country that speaks a foreign language, is that when I go and have those experiences, they feel very much like experiences I'm having looking from the outside in. It's as if there's a window between me and the life that's being lived, and I can look through it and see it and maybe appreciate some things, but I'm an observer, not a participant. You ever have that kind of feeling when you go to another culture? Maybe you have that kind of feeling when you come to a book of the Bible like Deuteronomy. I certainly do sometimes. You feel estranged in some way from this book because the cultural experience is so distant. We're separated by miles and by millennia, right? Deuteronomy is a land where God speaks on the mountaintop with smoke and with fire. It's a Christianity of river crossings and of land inheritance, of God speaking and mediating himself through people like Moses, writing directly his revealed will onto tablets. It's a space in which God mediates his relationship to his people as their actual sovereign. Through ancient suzerain treaties, it's a strange and distant place, even for those of us who are followers of Jesus and see this story in some real way as our story. Sometimes it looks, doesn't it, as if we come to Deuteronomy and we're peering through a window, kind of looking at ancient Israel's experience. And maybe there's something that we could learn about the way that they did it back then with God. But it's hard sometimes to come to Deuteronomy and feel like we are participants, like this indeed is our story. Uh, We come to Deuteronomy in this sermon series, uh, the sermon series that we're titling Rooted to Bear Fruit. And we're looking at the relationship that God establishes with his people by his grace and in his love to be ancient Israel's people. And he invites them into a covenant in which they can root their lives deeply in relationship with him so that they can then bear fruit that is generative and life-giving for the nations. So as a church and a community and individuals here in Austin, our hearts respond to announcements like Sarah's, to opportunities like mobile loaves and fishes. And we long to be people that bear fruit in good ways for our most disadvantaged neighbors. And Deuteronomy reminds us that the way to do that best is to go deep into our relationship with our God as he's revealed himself to us most fully in Jesus. And out of that relationship will come the life And the fruit, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. And so how can we come to Deuteronomy, particularly this morning, to the Shema, the great creed of ancient Israel? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. How do we come to this creed and not peer at it as 
observers, but to actually engage it as participants, not even jumping into their culture, but having that creed, that relationship with God come rushing into our present, into our lived experience. What might get us there? The Holy Spirit, for sure. But one help that the Spirit gives is language, right? Is language. When we were in Quebec City, Quebec City is still a French-speaking city primarily, and Kathy knew just enough French to be able to order our breakfast at the local cafe in French, and that was our inn. And all of a sudden, we had our local place. It was ours, and we weren't just observing Quebec. We were living it in that small way, and the language made all the difference. So this morning, in the time that we have left, as we ask the question, how can we respond to this call, this Shema call to a radical loyalty to God, a responding love for God, and then an ordinary rhythm of working it out in our lives together, right? You note takers, that's our three points. Did you catch it? Radical loyalty to God, a responding love back to Him that's then lived out in regular ordinary rhythms. As we come to that, maybe language can help us bridge that gap. So we're going to do a bit of a word study. We're going to make our way through this passage and we're going to look at the language and look at the words and see if that might connect our hearts deeply into this beautiful opportunity to give ourselves yet again to God and love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Hear is the first word. The Shema is named for the first word. In Hebrew, here is Shema. And on the most basic, literal level, Shema refers to the activities of the ear, the things that are happening around your physical ear. But as you would imagine, a call to hear is more than just a call to let sound waves pass through your eardrums. There's so much more going on. Shema has the force of pay attention. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. Uh, one of the ways that I really enjoy connecting into the community and spending time with my kids is coaching their soccer teams. And so right now I'm assisting Kate's 10-year-old soccer team. And I would like to think, back me up here, right? I would like to think that as these 10-year-old girls see the accrued wisdom of my soccer years <laughs> and the skill that I so clearly still have, they would hang on my every word. And that everything I say, they would be hearing and listening and taking in. But just in case they don't, when I really want them to hear, I say, hey, listen up. Listen up. Pay attention. That's the force of Shema. Not just hear, not just take sound waves in, but pay attention. I'm about to say something important to you. Shema has that aspect to it as well, but even more, even more deeply, listening, hearing in the Bible, shamaing, if you will, always involves a response. In fact, this is interesting, I didn't know this, that in the ancient Hebrew language, there isn't a separate word for obey. And so, if you want to say, listen to what I'm saying and obey, you would say, shema, shema, listen and obey. 
to respond to what you're hearing goes hand in hand with the hearing. In fact, there is no hearing if you're not responding. Kids, you know how this works in your household, doesn't it? When your parents say, are you listening to me? What are they asking? Did you do what I told you to do? And when I was growing up, my father was in construction and he would have me and my siblings work for him on Saturdays. I don't know why, because we never did it well. But he continued to give us these jobs. And he would give us a job, he would give us instructions, and then he would leave and go do other things. And when he came back, he expected that the instructions that he gave would be completed. And so he would say things like, take this plant and plant it here, and take this plant and plant it here, and take this plant and plant it here. Well, dirt in Florida is pretty porous, and it's hard for the plant to stay where you think it's going to stay. And so our holes would tend to migrate. And my dad would come back at the end of that Saturday, and what would he say? Did you not listen to what I told you? Yeah, we heard it. Well, why is this plant here? Did you respond in the way that I invited you to respond? That's the force of Shema. Hear, listen, pay attention, and then respond. Right? And so when ancient Israel, when the psalmist would cry out to God, God, hear our cry, what were they asking? For him to just listen or for him to respond with his compassion and his grace and to act for them? Hear, O Israel. We could say even more that Shema in ancient Hebrew has an aspect of respect and love for the one who is speaking. If you're going to listen and respond, you ought to do it not just out of duty, but out of respect for the one who is speaking to you, and indeed, even out of love. Friends, Shema is so much more than just sound waves. And so how might that bring this invitation into our present? Well, let's just ask a few implication questions together, because clearly God continues to speak to us. Are we putting ourselves in places where those sound waves pass through our eardrums or where our eyeballs see the words that are printed on the page? In other words, whose voice are we listening to when it comes to the most important and deeply held instructions in our lives? Is it the voice of God through his scriptures in community or is it some other cultural voice telling us who to be and how to live? Are we listening physically? Are we paying attention, recognizing that these are God's word, as I prayed earlier, of life for us? And are we coming to God's words with a posture of love and affection? Or are we coming with a posture of suspicion or fear or anger or maybe even in the church indifference and boredom? Do our actions betray our tone deafness or do our actions display our shema'ing, that we are listening to him? Hear, it's a beautiful word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're going to come back to that. Love, love, ahava in ancient Hebrew. Uh, in ancient Hebrew, love, particularly in Deuteronomy, carried both the connotation of affection and even passion toward the object of love, but also of obedience. 
and of responding duty. Delight and duty, affection and action all in one. The last roommate situation that I had before Kathy and I married, there were three of us. Uh, And Shane, on the one hand, was filled with affection and even passion. He's the kind of roommate that always had people over and you were always on the couch, and there was going to be a guitar, and there were going to be some good drinks, and there was going to be conversation, and it was going to go late into the night. He loved with all sorts of amazing affection. And his actions were, let's just say, not quite matching. Shane's sink was always full, always dirty. Shane's floor was never swept, never vacuumed, right? Nathan, on the other hand, His sink was always spotless. His floor was always swept. He struggled some on the relational side. But man, he loved in action. And I was somewhere in the middle, probably not good at one and not good at the other. I'm not picking on Shane or Nathan. I love both of them dearly. But they were sort of a good little parable, if you will, of the kind of love that Ahava refers to. It's a love that's expressed in action to be sure. And God calls for his people to love with their obedience. Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. The Lord your God executes justice. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 10, 12. What does the Lord command you but to fear him, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him, and to keep his commandments? Jesus said the very same thing. If you love me, keep my commands. There's an action to love in the scriptures, but there's an affection as well. There's a passionate response that God is calling for from his people. He says it again in this passage. I'm jealous for your love, for all of it, not just your activity, but for your heart, for your emotions. Jesus says the very same thing to Peter. You remember the story, Peter, one of Jesus' most closely held friends and disciples. Peter betrays Jesus, the time that Jesus needs him the most. And as Jesus comes to restore Peter back into relationship with him, back into fellowship, he asks Peter, do you love me? And is he asking just, Peter, will you obey me? No, Peter, do you have deep affection for me that's indicated by the action of your love? You can't have one without the other. And so, when we're invited to love the Lord our God, He wants our affection and He wants our obedience. He wants us to love Him. He wants us to love His image bearers. Jesus makes explicit in Matthew when he brings this ancient creed rushing into his present that love for God is reflected by love for others. And this only makes sense, right? If you love somebody, you're going to also love the way that they love. You're going to also love the things that they love. Indeed, you're going to love the people whom he loves. And so, now Deuteronomy 10, 17 to 19. How and whom does God love? Well, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And so you then, 
love the sojourner. Love in action, love with emotion, love of God, love of neighbor. In other words, there's no aspect of your life and ours together that isn't caught up in this command of love for God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your heart, love in the ancient Hebrew. At the literal level, they knew that the heart was the organ, that if it stopped working, your life would stop working. They did know that. But of course, the heart referred to so much more, even more than we refer to it when we say, well, that's a very heartfelt sentiment. Uh, I didn't know this. In ancient Hebrew, there is no word or even a conception of the brain. And so all the thinking activity, all the imagining that happens, didn't happen here for an ancient Israelite. It happened right here in your heart. The heart was the seat of the intellect and the imagination. It's where your wisdom and your understanding would dwell. But not just your intellect. The heart is also where your emotions resided. It's where you would feel pain and hope, and joy, and love. The heart is where you would discern and evaluate and judge whether something is good or bad, right or wrong. The heart is the seat of your deepest desires, your deepest affections. In other words, the heart is the center and the depth of your very self. And so the proverb is right to say, above all, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. And that is what God is asking of you. The deepest part of your very self. And so friends, how might this come rushing into our present? Is every faculty of who you are devoted to God in love? All of it. Do you love God with your brain? It's just an interesting way to think about it, isn't it? What do you daydream about? Is your imagination fired up toward love of God? What about your emotions? Do you love God with your sorrows? Right, when we think of loving God with our emotions, we think of the positive emotions because that makes the most sense. Do you love God with your doubts and your fears are all your emotions in service to love of God. What about your wisdom? Is the way that you operate well in this life devoted to God in love? What about your decision-making? Is your decision-making given over at every moment to love of God? Your deepest desires the content of your daydreams, is that given over to God and love? It's no wonder that the scriptures say that one day God would replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh that are able to give everything that we have to God because he sure is asking for a lot. I don't know about you, but is this starting to become a little bit overwhelming? Just a couple of verses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Not that much to it, but oh man, there's so much to it. God's asking our everything. He's asking for it all with your heart, with your soul. The soul 
for an ancient Israelite wasn't this abstracted interior thing that would continue on when your physical body no longer took breath. That's a platonic idea. The soul for an ancient Israelite was your entire you. It was a way of referring to the whole person. Everything that makes you uniquely you. How many of you talk to yourself in the third person? Anybody want to be brave and admit it? Right? And so when you say, come on, John, you can do it. Come on. If you were an ancient Israelite, you would say, come on, soul, you can do it. You're referring to your entire person. Right? Inside, outside, you in relationship to other people, the circumstances of your life, the uniquenesses of your personality and your character, the limitations and the frailties of your person, all of that is soul. And all of that is to be put into service of love of God. Have you ever thought, God, you have given me this weakness and this frailness, but I'm going to give it back to you in love. What about the circumstances of your life that are challenging? How do you offer those up to God in love? You in relationship with other people. Marvin prayed for the, that we would have relationships that are easy or hard, but that they would be true friendships and relationships in this community. What about the hard relationships in this community that you're engaged in? Is that relationship with you given to God in love? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and then with all your strength. Ma'ad. Strength in ancient Hebrew rarely is translated strength. It's actually not a noun. It's a modifier. It's an adverb. Ma'ad is an intensifier. One good way to think about this word is in Genesis 1 when God creates everything. You remember he says he created the heavens and the earth and he said it's good. And he created the sky and he said, it's good. And he created the birds and he said, they're good. And he created good, 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 right? And then when it comes to human beings, what does God say? He says, it's me'ad, good. It's very good, right? And so it's an intensifier. It amplifies up everything else. And so God is not just asking for your strength. He's asking for an intensity of everything, some ancient rabbis translated ma'ad money. Some translated it your mind. But either way, what they were saying is all of your money and all of your mind, an intensity to it. Kids, what came to mind as I was trying to think about how to describe this is maybe you've seen a cartoon or maybe you've even seen uh, something going on in a chemistry set, but some electricity is going to something, right? And that something isn't quite working yet. And so the mad scientist says, let's turn up the electricity, turn it up to 10, right? And they turn it up to 10 and the red lights flash and there's smoke going, but whatever is supposed to happen, all of a sudden it's happening, right? That's me'od. You take your everything and then you crank it up to 11. Spinal tap, right, for you adults. That's me'od. Friends, are you loving God with the very muchness of your money, the muchness of your time, 
right? The muchness of your emotions, the muchness of your strength. Are you taking it and then intensifying it and offering it to God? So much so that you think, I could never possibly keep this up, but I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to give Him more and more and more. He's asking for everything, your heart and your soul, and it's very muchness. I don't know about you, but that's coming directly into my presence, into my lived experience, primarily as challenge. Am I loving God in this kind of way? Am I going deep in a relationship with this kind of specificity? That everything about me, my personality, my fears, my insecurities, my hopes, my dreams, my intellect, my decisions, my desires, all of it is ramped up to 11 and given to God. Or, my goodness, not. So how do we come to this ancient creed that we've now, by a word study, brought into our present and not feel overwhelmed and indeed crushed by it? Because it sure feels like a heavy burden to wear. Point two is that the Shema is not just a call to radical loyalty. It's a call to a responding love. Our love for God is only and always a responding love to His. We love Him, the Apostle John says, because He first loved us. Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your... No, that's not how it goes, does it? Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Our God, the Lord, is one. Right? This invitation to radical loyalty begins with a reminder of God's radical love and loyalty to His people. Hero Israel, Yahweh. Not just God, not just a God, not even the God, but this God. Yahweh refers to God's personal name, the name that He gave His people. Israel, here, this is my name, Yahweh. You can call upon me with this name. I'm your God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Commentators aren't sure if it's the Lord our God is one or if the sense is the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Right? The supreme God. The only significant God. Or the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is faithful to his character. What character? What kind of supreme God? This God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the God who has given his entire self, all his heart, all his soul, all his muchness to his people in love first. And with that love, we can then begin to respond to him in love and not be crushed by it. How do you take up the Shema in your own life? How do we as a community take it up? By reminding ourselves just how loved we are. And where do we most fully see God's love for us? In the person and work of Jesus himself. All his very being, all his muchness for us. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 2. 
He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Let me pause and back up. As you read a passage like Philippians 2, do you read it recognizing that this is God's love for you? Can you read it this way? Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count that equality a thing to be grasped for you. He made himself nothing for you. Taking the form of the servant for you. Being born in the likeness of men for you. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death for you. Even death on a cross for you. How much of God's muchness has he given? Every bit of it for you in love. Friends, our love is a responding love through the love that we have in Christ. And not only do we get his love, not only do we get his forgiveness, but we actually get his kind of heart, not a heart of stone anymore, but a heart of flesh by his spirit, a heart that can actually get after this kind of whole personed love. That's an encouragement. And I don't know about you, but the Shema is still a little bit overwhelming. It's still a little bit overwhelming. How do we step into this radical kind of loyal commitment? And I love this about Deuteronomy. It says... You just do it in the regular, ordinary rhythms of your life. Did you catch that? He gives this amazing command, and then Moses goes on to say, here's what you do. You take these commands, and you put them on your heart, and then teach them to your kids. Like when you wake up in the morning, and you're at the breakfast table, talk about the Shema with your kids. Talk about what me'od means with your kids. And if you don't have kids, talk about it with your friends in your dorm room. Talk about it with your parish group. Right? What, let's, let's talk more about what this command is together in the ordinary, regular rhythms of our life. That's where you start. Start at the breakfast table. Start at the dinner table. He says, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What might change if you took Jesus' version of the Shema and you woke up every morning with it and you ended your day every evening with it? And you talk to yourself a little bit. Here, John, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength today and love your neighbor as yourself and make that a prayer to God. And then at the end of the day, John, reflect back on your day. How, how did it go? Did you listen did you love? Was it wholehearted? Was it whole personed? How did that go? What might change in your life if your regular rhythm, morning and evening, involved Jesus' greatest commandment? See, this is the beauty of it. He doesn't say, go find a way to martyr yourself on behalf of Jesus to prove your love for him. He doesn't say, move to a foreign country and be a missionary over there so that you can prove that you've got a Shema heart. He doesn't say, go learn Greek or Hebrew. He doesn't say, memorize Deuteronomy. He doesn't say, you have to be an expert. 
He says, all Israel, you, in your everyday ordinary rhythms of life, take my commands and listen to them and then see how you might respond. And friends, maybe, maybe with the Spirit's help, that's something that we can do together and bear fruit for Austin. Let's pray. Um, Father, would you take that maybe and by your Spirit turn it into a surely, surely with your Spirit. Uh, we can, repenting when we fail, move forward with great hope in this call to love you with our whole heart and soul and strength and to love our neighbor as yourself. Father, as you enable us to do it, we'll give you the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.